0: 73rd Psalm. I'm going to speak to you today on drawing nearer, but before I do, I just want to put today's talk in context. At the first of the year, I really felt the Lord laid Isaiah 54 on my heart. Isaiah 53 is that beautiful chapter of prophecy about Jesus as the suffering Messiah. By his stripes we're healed, he's wounded for our transgressions, he's bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace is upon him, and all those wonderful things that he's going to fulfill, the very next chapter opens with these words that I believe are related to what Jesus did in Isaiah 53. It says, Sing, barren woman, who did not bring forth young. And it goes on to say, For many are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman. And then it goes on to say, Stretch out the curtains of your habitation... Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. If you've ever put a tent up, you know the importance of having your stakes strengthened. The harder the wind blows, the deeper your stakes need to be. The bigger the tent, the bigger the stakes need to be and the deeper they need to be. Uh, last summer, Laura had a day of Olympics activities for the children. How many remember the tent that the city of Granbury and Mark Gormis allowed us to use? Those stakes were driven down there to keep that thing down. And I really thought the Lord was was uh, speaking to my heart the first of the year that we were going to do more than we've ever done before in terms of outreach as a church. But because of that, we also need to go deeper than we've ever had before in the Lord. Be stronger because the enemy, the of opposition and change in itself creates opposition. Might blow against us and attempt to divert us from our purpose of reaching out more than we ever have before. So therefore we've got to become stronger and deeper and more stable in our walk with the Lord. And so I preached a series of sermons on worship and and, uh, thought it was really good. But those sermons really were corporate words for us as a people. And then I thought, All right, we're going to do the purpose-driven life. You know, we're not going to do six weeks and then forget about it next year and say, "Well, that was nice," but we're going to just do a series of of sermons on fellowship because we've already done some on worship, and then discipleship. You know, the five purposes in that book: the worship, fellowship, discipleship, becoming more like Christ, and then on ministry within the church, and then mission ministry outside the church. And I think the Lord is doing that here, but the Lord surprised me when I attended a conference at, at our mother church in Grand Prairie where He revealed to me a few weeks ago that I really had lost the appetite I once had for the Lord. Um, and, I, and I know I've, I've gone through phases in my life before where I'd lost it, but this time I didn't realize I, I didn't have the hunger or thirst or, or the love for communion with God that I once had. And so I've set myself on a quest to pursue Him. And so these, in these teachings, I may seem to be more passionate than normal, not quite as laid back. And you may think, man, who is he hammering at? Who is he aiming at? Who is he shooting at? Well, I'm preaching to myself. This is where I'm at. So you all are definitely eating from the bowl that I'm eating out of if, if uh, you're getting fed here in these teachings. And so... I spoke on acquiring a taste for God and and then our team came back from Romania and they all shared how the believers there have nothing but yet they are full of such joy and their needs are met, their basic needs are met, most basic of needs are met food and clothing and sh- some shelter but there's joy in the Lord they're finding satisfaction in Him and so then we spoke a word on the truly blessed life that that as Americans, I don't think it's God's will that we begin to live like Amish people and go native. You know, that, that wouldn't be an influence in the culture in which he's caused us to serve. Beating ourselves up for the wisdom of the forefathers of our country, which created a culture where people can prosper, whereas Romania is coming out of communism, which is something our nation stood against for years, and, and because of our nation's stand, there's a breakthrough there, and there's, things are going to change. Gradually, of course. So, the intention of that word wasn't to heap guilt on us because we're prosperous, but to help us to see that all our things, our stuff, they may not necessarily be evil in in themselves, but if we are drawing satisfaction from them, we are getting shortchanged. The more you have, the more you have to maintain, the more you have to be responsible for, and the more easily it is for those things that you have to actually have you and uh, sometimes I wonder if we've trained our dog or if he's trained us. <laughs> then last Sunday I spoke along the lines of beholding the Lord and how according to the promise in Second Corinthians 3.17, that as we behold him, we are transformed from glory to glory. So the change that we need to have in our life, and I guess this is discipleship, we're moving on to that next purpose is that as we behold the Lord in our hearts, in our lives, through prayer, worship, meditation, with genuine a genuine appetite, he changes us. And a radical example of that is in Isaiah six. When he saw the Lord high and lifted up and the Lord's train of God's clothes fills the temple where he is. I mean he's got some awesome outfits. Angels are flying. Worship is being declared and the building is shaking. And then Isaiah realized who he was. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a nation of unclean lips. Woe is me, for I am undone. And at that confession, the Lord commissioned an angel to take a coal of fire and put it on his lips and to pronounce cleansing over him. Your sin is purged. Your iniquity is cleansed. And Isaiah was so transformed, he He changed from the woe is me mentality, which was true at that point, to the here am I, send me. From conviction of sin to cleansing to passion to serve. And if you look back over your life, experiences you've had with the Lord, there's been the encounter with God, the word from heaven, however it came. Inner, inner witness, a guy on TV or radio or the word of a brother or sister or a sermon you heard or a tape you listened to, it hits you between the eyes you repented of that thing that the Lord revealed to your heart and transformation came no longer convicted because you've been forgiven and then you're passionate to do his will. And so it was, it was our intention last week to encourage us to behold the Lord more and more, to seek to see him with the eyes of our heart more than we ever have before, so that he can transform us and use us for his glory. So today's talk is right along the lines of those things. Strengthening our relationship with God. So it's not just a concept or a doctrine. You know, as, as American Christians, we value good doctrine, good teaching, and we'll, we'll judge doctrines and things, and that's all well and good. But we want the reality of those doctrines in our life. We love, especially in this modern era, we love good music. And it's great to sing good songs, but I want more than good songs. I want the reality of a close walk with the Lord in my life. I want to be people of faith, speaking words of faith, not speaking negative and and being complainers and whiners, but I want more than just words in my mouth. I want reality in my heart. Jesus rebuked the the uh, Pharisees and called them hypocrites. He said, you draw near to me with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. And he's actually quoting a rebuke out of the Old Testament. I don't want to draw near to the Lord with my mouth and not draw near to him with my heart. So, with that being said, let's look at at Psalm 73. Verse 1. Truly, God is good to Israel to such as is pure in heart. But as for me, my foot had almost stumbled. Has that ever happened to you? You know God's good, but then something happened that tripped you up. Something you didn't understand. A disappointment. A discouragement. A person that you had on a pedestal let you down. (laughs) This tripped the psalmist up. Verse 3, For I was envious of the boastful, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You ever wondered that? How do wicked people get by with what they're getting by with? It's all a setup, saints. God is merciful, and his mercy endures forever, but there is a day of judgment. And if we do not heed his love and his kindness that draws us to repentance, then we must face his wrath. If not, he's not a God of love. If your child is in is in misbehavior and they never experience your wrath as a parent, you're not really loving your child by just coddling their misbehavior. The Bible says, Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And that word chasten means discipline. Punishment. A weapon is a not a weapon, a (laughs) weapon is a chastening. So here he's wondering. You know, he's not seeing the whole picture. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I just don't understand. I know God's good, but I, I'm almost getting tripped up here. Verse 4. For there are no pains in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plague like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. I saw a TV uh, movie about the Enron scandal. Not not the most recent one, but the very first one they made. And uh, before Enron crashed and came to a close, there was some high-talking, proud-walking guys on the telephone talking people and investing their money with that company. But who knows, one day judgment came and is still happening. Verse 8, They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks to the earth. It's like they get by with everything. Therefore his people return here, and the waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, How does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said I would speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Sometimes living right is the hard way to go. The Bible says a righteous man swears to his own hurt, meaning we're to keep our word even if it hurts us. Verse 17 is the transformation verse. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. You ever been down and discouraged? And then you come to a worship service and God just changes, recalibrates your whole perception of everything. As you begin to magnify Him, you see just how big He is and how little this stuff that can bug us really is. You went to the sanctuary, then you understood they're in. You understood the story wasn't over. Surely you have set them in slippery slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how how they are brought down to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. The story is not over for us either. Look at verse um, 18 again. Surely you have set them in slippery places, you cast them down to destruction. Those who live wickedly and get by with it will live more wickedly, will they not? And eventually they are going to begin to reap what they sow. So the mercy of God, if they don't respond to it, is actually a setup. Actually a setup. They're just getting set up. I remember hearing a story of a of a missionary in West Africa that went to this village that was oppressed under the power of a witch doctor. And they had a little company of witch doctors, and he was oppressing the people and And uh, they challenged the missionary to a contest. And the missionary prayed and said, Oh, God, I don't want to put you to some test. I don't want to tempt you. I don't want to be involved in this. But the Lord gave him peace and said, Go ahead, just go with it. So the witch doctor had some volunteers or draftees, who who knows what they were a couple guys that he levitated off the ground. So they're standing there suspended by demonic powers off of the ground. And the witch doctor said, can you do that? Challenging him to do something bigger than that. The missionary prayed, said, oh God, you know I didn't want to be involved in this. You don't do this kind of thing. Uh, what, What do you want me to do? And the Lord spoke to him, said, tell him to go higher. So, he said, can they go higher? And the witch doctor tried, and sure enough, he got the people higher. This happened again and again several times till the guy had the people about 20 foot off the ground. Then the Lord spoke to him and says, break the power of the demons in the name of Jesus. So he said, I'll break your power in Jesus' name. And the guys came crashing to the ground with broken legs and bruised and battered up bodies. It's a set up. Don't be dismayed or envious of the wicked. The more they get by with, the more they're getting set up. They're deceiving themselves. God will not be mocked. We will reap what we sow. Verse twenty five. Then he realizes it's not about all this stuff and getting by with wickedness that what life is about. Verse twenty five Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. I have a feeling that verse 28 is related. Where's the verse at where he went to the sanctuary? Until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord, then I understood therein. I have a feeling that verse 17 is related somehow, directly or indirectly, to verse 28. In the sanctuary he drew near God. And the envy, he was transformed. The envy thing was no longer an issue. Have you ever come to church with an issue in your heart? And when you leave, it's no longer an issue? Have you ever knelt down to spend time with God with an issue in your life? And said, God, I'm not leaving this room until this thing's resolved and He resolved it. I've had things in my life over the years that I've been strongly tempted with and I couldn't shake it till I got on my knees and cried out to God and He broke the power of that thing. When we behold Him, when we draw near to Him, something happens. It's good to draw near to God. The concept of drawing near may be Foreign to you theologically, but it's my prayer that by the end of this talk, the next few minutes, you'll become familiar with it. It will no longer be foreign to you. All um, balanced theologians that know the Lord Jesus Christ believe that we can have a more intimate relationship with God. We can be saved and yet have a more intimate relationship with God. Even John MacArthur, who's Who's not a a uh, man who's in favor of Pentecostal type churches like ours, and we're not necessarily Pentecostal, but he would put us in that boat. He wrote a book entitled Drawing Near. And in his Bible commentary, he talks about drawing near to God, having a more intimate relationship with God than what we have. And of course, we know people like us have, have that concept as well. When we talk about drawing near to God, we're not talking about a geographical nearness. As in, we are nearer to Granbury out here than we are to Weatherford, or we're nearer to Crescent than we are to Fort Worth. Not talking about that nearness, it's a relational nearness. Those of you who are married in, in this house, have there been times in your marriage where you weren't as close to your spouse as you are right now? Come on, be honest. All right. So it's possible to have a close relationship with a person and yet have a closer relationship with a person. So it's my desire today is twofold. Those of us who do not have a relationship with the Lord, it's my desire to make you want one. And those of us that do have one, it's my desire to whet your appetite, to increase your taste to have one, deeper, more intimate, and more close than the one you have. An intimate relationship with God is not something that's just held for monks who go up in the mountains and live for the rest of their life and don't have anything to do with people and have to deal with the mess down here on the earth. God knows those monks still have problems up there, getting along with each other and all that, all that other stuff. Drawing near to God is available to every person who is a child of God. It's available to us. There's three things that I... I three passages of Scripture that I draw strength from in talking about this. And and a fourth one that I didn't write down, uh, Acts 17, 27. You can write that down there on your notes. Paul's preaching on Mars Hill to the pagans, and he sees that they have an idol written in honor of the unknown God, and so he preached to them about God, the, the real God, as the God they don't know. Here's the unknown God. And he said these words, Acts 17, 27. He is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. He's a creator and giver of life and sustainer of the universe. He's not far from any of us. So when we talk about drawing near to God, we're not talking about going to 2 We're just talking about right here in your seat. Drawing nearer to the Lord than you've ever been before. Hebrews 7 nineteen. The context here, the writer of Hebrews is talking about our covenant that we have with God. How it is a better covenant. You know the New Testament in your Bible could be called the Better Testament. You got the Old Testament and the Better One. You ever meet somebody talking about the good old days, how the old days were better? Well in this in this context, the New Testament is the better testament and that the priesthood that Jesus fulfilled was a better priesthood. He wasn't a priest from the tribe of Levi, made up of men that die, but he was a a priest after the order of Melchizedek, who had no recorded father, and his ending is not recorded. It was a picture of the eternal priest, which Jesus is. Acts 17, 7, verse 18 talks about the law being annulled because It just couldn't do what we needed to be done. It could point out our shortcomings, show us our sins. Verse 19 says, For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. So we have a new covenant, a better covenant, and through this covenant, we can draw near to God. It's our privilege as new covenant believers... As Better Testament people, it's our privilege to draw near to God. Heard the story of a guy that had a ticket to sail on a cruise ship from Europe to New York. And all he could afford was a ticket. He didn't have any extra money for meals. And so he, you know, packed some crackers and cheese and did some fasting and made the food last the several weeks and days that it took for the old ship to make the journey. And when he got off the ship there on the gangplank, the captain's telling people goodbye, and the captain introduced himself to him. Says, "Sir, I've not met you. What table did you sit in in the dining room?" He says, "I, I didn't have enough money to eat in the dining room. I only had enough money for a ticket." Captain said, "Well, sir, there's been a misunderstanding. Tickets provide uh, this cruise comes with ticket comes with meals provided. If you have a ticket for this cruise and you are legitimately on this ship." you have meals provided. The guy lives short of his privileges. It's not God's will that we barely scoot into heaven, battling, and bleeding and totally confused as to what's going on in our lives and discouraged when the new covenant provided a way not just to go to heaven and to escape hell, but provides a way to go to heaven with a close relationship with the Lord. And in that relationship is his transforming promises. We can draw near to God with full assurance. Hebrews 10 talks about this better covenant that Jesus not only is the better priest, but Hebrews 10 is talking about the better sacrifice. The blood of bulls and goats couldn't really remove sin. They are just animals. They were pictures of faith that were pointing to the perfect land who would come. As a result of this better sacrifice, Hebrews 10.18 says, Their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Not only are they forgiven, they're not remembered. That's a better deal, isn't it? Hebrews 10.19 says, that Because of that, we have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We can have the boldness to be near to God because our sin that separated us from God has been dealt with. And if you will confess that sin, the promise in the Old Testament, uh, he who hides his sin will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. That was fulfilled in Christ. If we confess our sins and forsake them, he forgives us of those sins and cleanses us from our unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 And so, And then he chooses to not remember those sins anymore. Because of that, we can have boldness to draw near to him because of the blood of Jesus. We come to Jesus because of his blood. His blood is a symbol of his life. The life of the flesh, the Bible says, is in the blood. He lived a sinless life. So his blood could be shed for people that were sinners because his blood certainly wasn't shed for his own sins. And so in the shedding of his blood, the giving of his sinless life, we now can be forgiven. And walking in relationship with him, we can have betterness because he made a new way to live. Not by going to a priest and taking it around and, and uh, operating according to the 600 laws of Moses, but through what Jesus did for us, we now can draw near to God. In the Old Testament, there was a temple which was the center of their worship. They had to go to that temple every year. And there was priests that served there full time. And the temple had three areas, an outer court and then an inner court and a holy of holies. So that the temple itself, on the, the grounds of the temple was the outer court, and the temple itself was two chambers, the holy place and the holy of holies. And those two chambers were separated by a thick veil that you could not see through. It was, it was multiple layers of fabric. Some theologians say it was six inches thick. And once a year, a priest would go behind that veil to minister to the Lord to atone for the sins for the previous year, asking God to overlook them. When Jesus died, his body went on the cross. When he died, and said it is finished, the veil in the temple, that was still in existence at that time, ripped from the top, which is too high for any man to reach, to the bottom. And revealed to all who could see in that the Ark of the covenant was no longer in there. It's lost. They don't know where it is. The emperor had no clothes. The law was bankrupt. But Jesus, through the veil of his flesh, being rent, made a way for us to go into the Holy of Holies, a place reserved just for priests, Levites. Now, as believers, we are the priests of God. The priesthood of a believer is a truth that Martin Luther rediscovered, that we are all priests and we all can have a relationship with God. And so as his priests, we have this privilege of drawing near to the Lord. Because of that, verse 22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart. Psalm 145, 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. We draw near to God when we sincerely want to draw near to Him. And we draw near to Him when we have the full assurance of faith. You don't don't draw near to God because you're unworthy and you're a loser and you're just a worm and a wretch. But you draw near to God because He's forgiven you. He's given you his son as your sacrifice, and his son is resurrected as your high priest. Because of all that he did, we can draw near to him with true hearts in full assurance of faith. And here's two things we're to do. We're to have our hearts sprinkled from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What that means is if our hearts are true, we've got to deal with our conscience. A conscience can be one of two things and cause us problems. A conscience can be seared. You can persevere in a sin so much to where you begin to defend it. Anger will do this to you. Self-pity will do this to you. You feel entitled to that sin and you no longer feel pain over that sin because you put a, you've put burned your conscience through persistent sin. You've put, you, you put scar tissue on it. You've seared your conscience. So if we're going to draw near to God, we're going to take our conscience to him. Lord, heal this thing. I no longer feel guilt in this area of my life. And I see that it's wrong. A conscience can be trained to to feel guilty when it shouldn't. A conscience can be trained. If Muslims don't pray five times a day, they feel guilty. Their conscience has been trained. Not right. So it's God's will, not God's will, that you be locked into condemnation because you made some mistakes in your past or you committed sin in your life. That you just be locked into shame because you're not worthy of God's grace. Therefore, you're not going to pursue a close relationship with the Lord. The Lord wants to cleanse that conscience. And our bodies being washed with pure water points to obedience. We sin with these bodies. And the Lord wants to give us a new obedience to flow out of hearts of love and appreciation and relationship with Him. And I dare say, these two things, dealing with our conscience and dealing with our bodies, is impossible without drawing near to the Lord. So, what came first, the chicken or the egg? The egg. In this case, the egg is drawing near to God. As you draw near to Him, these are things that are going to rise up in your heart that will try to distract you. Don't fear. They're not permanent. They're just strongholds that have a hold of you in some area. And the fact they become very obvious when you draw near to God shows that He's working. So with your true heart, take Him, that conscience. Take Him, your body, and let Him deal with you. All right, moving that along. James chapter 4. This is the, the main text. We draw near to God by true repentance. Here's the promise. James four eight. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And here's the ways we do that with true repentance. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Our hands are symbolic of our transgressions. With our hands we hurt people. With our hands we do things that are not right. And purify your hearts, you double minded. Transgressions is the things we do outwardly. He was wounded for our transgressions. Iniquity is the problems we have inward. He was bruised, wounded for transgressions, bruised for iniquity. Because of the iniquity in our hearts, we do the transgression. So the Lord wants to not only wants us to not only cleanse our hands, but to purify our hearts. And then he says, You double minded. This verse is written to believers. God wants our hearts to be fully devoted to Him. Well, we're not playing patty cake for Jesus on Sunday and dancing with the devil on Friday. Purify your heart. And be sincere about it. Ring your heart. He says, verse 9, Lament and mourn and weep. Cry out to God, help me. Get serious. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Don't turn the radio up louder to ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You don't know the joy that you're missing out on, the satisfaction in life that you're missing out on, that this sin is robbing from you. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So as we draw near to God, he draws near to us, he helps us to cleanse our hands. He helps us to purify our hearts. He helps us to have godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is what what works repentance, the Bible says. The New Testament says that. Godly sorrow works repentance. And another verse says, The kindness of God leads us to repentance. So as I draw near to God, His kindness draws Him near to me, and He gives me godly sorrow. If I ask Him for it, Lord, you promised God myself. I need God soul so I can have a change of heart. It's not a time to horse around or take it back. It is a time to be serious. If you do that, we're not talking about you running around condemned for weeks to draw near to God. We're talking about getting with God and not leaving till it's over. You have victory in that area. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Let's talk about some foundations to this. Having been justified, we now have access to God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Romans 5.1 comes right after Romans chapter 4. And the last part of Romans chapter 4, the context is talking about how Jesus was delivered up for our offenses. He died for our sins. And He was raised for our justification. Two things there. It's one thing to be forgiven. Another thing to be justified. He's not only forgiven me, He has justified me and is alive to make sure that it stays in place. Because of what he's done, we have access. You can draw near to guy because you've been given access. You know, we can all drive to Crawford, Texas, but the Secret Service probably will not give us access to President Bush's property. You don't have access. But when it comes to the throne room of heaven through Jesus, we've been given access. We've been given more than a press pass. We've been given a covenant. Passes can expire. Licenses have to be renewed. We've been given a covenant. We've been justified. Here's another truth. As believers, we're already near to God. Today, we're talking about being nearer. Ephesians 2.13 says, In Christ, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You know, as as Gentiles, we were definitely far off. The Jews were closer to the truth of Jesus than we were. But through what Jesus did, we who were far off were brought near by the blood of Christ. Next point. In Christ we have boldness and access with confidence. Ephesians 3 talks about how the church has been predestined to reveal the manifold wisdom of God to the principalities and power. Verse 11, according to their eternal purpose with the accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. When you're intimidated, you're not very bold. When you're guilt-ridden, you're not very bold. When you're condemned, you're not very bold. So anything that's keeping you from being bold, deal with it. Deal with it. Intimidation can keep us from accessing the access that God has given to us. God relates to us on the level of faith. And... uh, Years ago, I was intimidated. Some people that I loved had spoken ill of me, and it really rattled me. I think they had had some kind of prayer meeting, and one person had had a dream, and another person had a dream, and another person had an impression. They put it all together and created a monster, and it was me, and it really hurt me. And I prayed, and God seemed to be silent. And his silence was, you know, it was tempting. You know, hey, maybe this is true. Maybe I've just been imagining the walk with God that I had. I mean, the devil was really lying to me. And I went to a place where I could stay for a couple days and went to a Christian bookstore, and the Lord led me to to buy John Devere's book, Breaking the Power of Intimidation. It's a little over 200 pages, and I read the book in one sitting. Well, I think I went to the bathroom and got a drink a couple times. But I mean, I just devoured the book, and it just fed my soul. And and the point of the book is God relates to us on the basis of faith. And when we are tempted to doubt, He will not respond to that doubt to confirm immaturity in our lives. Well, all I had to do was just stand up on my feet and point, I was just pointing to the wall, and rebuke that intimidation, command it to leave me, and declare I am a man of I have been predestined to serve the Lord. God did call me. I am the pastor of that church where I was serving at that time. I am who God says I am. And then I could pray, and I seemed to hear the Lord, and there wasn't any interference in the frequency of with, with God. That's all it took. So you may think God is far from you because someone is has Slandered you and intimidated you, stand on your hind leg and say, I am a woman of God. Amen. I am a man of God. I may not be perfect. He's not done with me. But I am going to do what He's called me to do in this generation. Amen. I may have a past I'm not proud of, but hallelujah, neither did Paul.
1: Amen.
0: Last point. We also have bold access, not just because of what Jesus has done for us, but because he understands us. You ever had to go to a boss to make an appeal who just didn't understand? He didn't know what it was like to work out there in the shop with the scenario that he created? Just didn't understand? Well, Jesus understands. He came down into the shop and lived amongst us and got battered around literally by the circumstances of life. And so now we can go to him and he understands By experience. Prior to that he was he was God. He was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. John one one. John one fourteen. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So when the Word of God became flesh, he dwelt among us. Now He's the flesh resurrected in heaven, and he knows more than he did. He knew everything by superior intelligence, but now he knows things by experience. God I've been betrayed. What that feels like, God, I've been lied about. He knows what that feels like. I've been spat on. I've been let down. I've been discouraged. He knows. He knows all that. Hebrews four fifteen says, "We do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin." Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This message on the nearness of God is an answer to many Christians' dilemmas. Are you discouraged? Draw near to God. Do you lack purpose? Are you wrestling with apathy? Draw near to God. Has lack in your life got got you depressed? Draw near to God. Do you need victory? Draw near to God. Are you weak? Draw near to God. Are you disappointed? Draw near to God. (laughs) He gives you the ability to laugh at that stuff. As you draw near to Him, He heals your heart. Cleveland McAfee, a Presbyterian minister in Chicago, received word that his brother and sister-in-law had lost both of their daughters to diphtheria. This is in the early part of the 20th century. Within 24 hours, grief-stricken McAfee couldn't think of deep theological issues, he could only think of verses in the book of Psalms that brought comfort and rest to those who sought refuge in the Lord. As he meditated on God's Word, he wrote the words and music to this simple hymn, Near to the Heart of God. At the double funeral, outside the darkened quarantine house of his brother, Cleland McAfee, with a choking voice, sang this hymn publicly for the first time. Near to the Heart of God by Cleland Lloyd McAfee. The lyrics go like this. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. A place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. There is a place of comfort sweet near to the heart of God. A place where we, our Savior, meet near to the heart of God. There is a place of full release near to the heart of God. A place where all is joy and peace near to the heart of God. The chorus is, O Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God, hold us who wait before you near
1: to the heart of God.
0: I close with a question. It's a trick question. The question is, are you as near to God as you want to be? Having heard this word today, I trust it's been understandable. Maybe you heard some things that you didn't know, and now you realize you're not as near to God as you want to be. So based on your response over the next season of your life, the question, the answer to that question really is only one word. If we know this stuff we're talking about today, we know this is the truth. The question that says, are you as near to God as you want to be, is always yes. Oh, but I'm not as near to God as I should be. The question is, are you as near to God as you want to be? All of us basically really are, if we know this, maybe a lack of knowledge we didn't know this, but all of us really are as near to God as we want to be. So the answer really is yes. There could be another question. Would you like to be nearer to God than you are now? This is not a condemning word. This is an encouraging word. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's a promise out of the old covenant, and we have a better covenant. How much more true is it for us today? and we bow our heads. Lord, we confess that we are as close to you as we want to be. But Lord, the real question is, are we as close to you as you want us to be? Lord, maybe some of us or most of us in my life, it certainly has been me. I've not been as close to you as you wanted me. Lord, I pray for transformation. That as we behold your desire for a close, intimate relationship with you, Lord, that we would apply this truth in our lives, Lord, and we would draw near to you in prayer, meditation, worship, personal prayer, corporate prayer, personal worship, corporate worship. Lord, may all of us deepen the stakes of our relationship with You so that we can be effective to serve You more effectively in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll close with a, for a few minutes of giving you an opportunity to draw near to God to behold Him, to taste Him. Find a place to pray up here at the front if you'd like. Zane leads us in a song. Let's not leave without spending some time in drawing near to the Lord.